0: technology we use, uh, it means that we we might be able to pick up the fact there's a transmitter out there. That's the, the name of the game, and that's what we're hoping to do. It means that we sacrifice getting the message in order to at least prove that there's somebody out there.
1: You're listening to Widdishins Podcast, where we take the ultimate sci-fi themes found in books and movies and discuss them with the world's leading scientists, engineers, and experts. This week's podcast is brought to you by our sponsors and preferred retailers, Wordery and The Book Depository. And the book we've seen reflecting on this week is Invasion of the Body Snatchers by Jack Finney. Considering we are talking today about alien invasions with Seth Shostak, this is sure to be a really applicable book. It is set in a peaceful town of Mill Valley in California, where Dr. Miles Bennell discovers an insidious, horrifying plot. Silently and subtly, almost imperceptibly, alien life forms are taking over the bodies and minds of his neighbors, his friends, his family the woman he loves, and the whole world knows it. The link to Invasion of the Body Snatchers can be found in the show notes. My name is Amy Rose, and in this episode, I have a conversation with Seth Shostak. I first spoke to Seth very, very early on in the Beauty Shins podcast in Season 1, Episode 4, Seth is involved with the research for intelligent extraterrestrial life at the SETI Institute in California, trying to find evidence that there's someone out there other than ourselves on other planets in other solar systems. He is also committed to getting the public, especially young people, excited about astrobiology and science in general. He hosts the radio show-podcast, dash The Big Picture Science. Thanks so much, Death, for coming back on Widdishin's podcast. It's been a long time since we had a conversation in Season 1, Episode 4 on aliens and technology. Today we're going to have a conversation about alien invasions. And I thought we were the best guy to speak to because, well, I heard your TED talk pretty much guaranteeing that we're going to see aliens in the next, I don't know, decade or two decades.
0: So the question is, what fraction of these planets are actually suitable for life? We don't know the answer to that either, but we will learn that answer this year, thanks to NASA's Kepler Space Telescope. And in fact, the smart money, which is to say the people who work on this project, the smart money is suggesting that the fraction of planets that might be suitable for life is maybe one in a thousand, one in a hundred, something like that. Well, even taking the, the pessimistic estimate, that it's, it's one in a thousand, that means that there are at least a billion cousins of the Earth just in our own galaxy. Okay. Now, I've given you a lot of numbers here, but they're mostly big numbers. Okay. So, you know, keep that in mind. There's plenty of real estate, plenty of real estate in the universe. And if we're the only bit of real estate in which there's some interesting occupants, that makes you a miracle. I know you like to think you're a miracle. But if you do science, you learn rather quickly that every time you think you're a miracle, you're wrong. So, probably not the case. All right, so the bottom line is this. Because of the increase in speed and because of the vast amount of habitable real estate in the cosmos, I figure we're going to pick up a signal within two dozen years. And I feel strongly enough about that to make a bet with you. Either we're going to find ET in the next two dozen years or I'll buy you a cup of coffee.
1: So I was fascinated by what you had to say, and obviously I reached out to you to interview you on this topic, but Seth, I really want to talk about how you got to this point, because it's not every day that someone goes from being a normal person, no offense, to basically hunting down signals from aliens. So it's an honor to have you here, but can you tell me a little bit about your story and how you became—I think the director of the SETI Institute, but I'm—I'm I'm not quite sure. Please fill me in. I've been following you for a while, and I've got mixed bios from uh, from online sources. So, so please fill me in.
0: Well, actually, not any. No, it's it's not <laughs> quite my title. I am senior astronomer, which I think uh, probably is more a reference to my age than to anything else. <laughs> but uh, well, I had studied uh, astronomy in school. Actually, physics and astronomy and you know i, I had uh, quite a, a, well, a bit of experience actually learning more about galaxies uh, using radio telescopes uh, uh, around the world actually but in 19 when was it about 1990 i had moved back to the united states i was living abroad i was living in europe at the time working at a university there i moved back to the united states some people found out that i was here they called me up uh, one night and said, hey, look, uh, you know, the SETI Institute is here in town. Turned out to be the same town I was living in. That was total coincidence. They said, you want a job here? And uh, they asked at the right time. So I did take a job here. And uh, so that's that's quite a bit of time ago, getting close to 30 years now. But I've been here ever since. And again, you know, probably because my background was in astronomy.
1: Can you tell me what really excited you originally about life outside of planet Earth. For me, it's because life on Earth isn't as exciting as what could possibly be out there. But what got you excited originally?
0: Well, I mean, most people around here, if you say aliens, well, I mean, it it can be ambiguous. It's just, you know, the Latin word for somebody from someplace else, you know, an outsider. But when you talk about space aliens everybody's interested in them. I mean, you just go into a a classroom of of kids that are, you know, eight years old or whatever and say, you know, how many of you would like to meet an alien or something like that? They're all interested in aliens. And I think that they're hardwired to be interested in aliens. They're all interested in dinosaurs too, because, you know, your brain is wired up to uh, pay attention to anything with big teeth and dinosaurs have big teeth. So, uh, you know, And I think the same is true of aliens. Your your brain is wired up to make you pay attention to any strange creatures out there that might be competitive with you or might harm you or might marry you or whatever. So uh, I think everybody's interested in aliens. Uh, And I was interested in aliens. And when I was a kid, you know, I would go to the movies every week. And a lot of these bad movies that I saw, they were mostly bad looking back on them, although they seemed perfectly good to me at the time. Uh we're about aliens, so, you know, all that stimulated an interest.
1: Okay, here's the big question. Have you had any signals back yet? Or are you able to confirm that you've maybe heard something a little bit suspicious from possibly an outside planet or solar system?
0: Well, we're not going to hear anything back because, remember, we do not broadcast. Uh, we only listen. So, But we might hear something. And it wouldn't have been in response to anything we said. It's just somebody, you know, sort of like you're standing at a party against the wall. You're not saying anything. And somebody finally comes up to you and says, you know, hey, Ralph, what do you think of those hors d'oeuvres or something, right? So <laughs> that's what we're hoping, that somebody will talk to us. Uh, and we haven't heard anything. I mean, we get signals all the time. That's not the problem. But we haven't uh, yet heard any anybody uh, that's conclusively You know, somebody with a transmitter on a planet around another star. Not yet. But, you know, you could have asked Captain Cook, hey, found anything interesting lately? And, you know, it had only been two weeks underway and he wouldn't have found anything interesting. But after a while he does.
1: Okay. Here's the juicy one, (laughs) another juicy one. What do you mean you hear signals? I feel like we just brushed over that one a little bit too fast. So can you please elaborate?
0: Well, the technology we use, uh, it means that we you know, we might be able to pick up the fact there's a transmitter out there. That's the, the name of the game. And that's what we're hoping to do. But we would not get the message. And that's because, you know, any incoming signal we would average for minutes. We would just sort of, you know, just sort of, it would be like making a time exposure with your camera in order, you know, to record a city's lights at night. You open the shutter for 30 seconds, which is great, and then you can see the lights, but you don't see, for example, somebody turning uh, their house light on and then off again, right? Uh, It's just, you get sort of the average light coming from that house light. So it means that we sacrifice getting the message in order to at least prove that there's somebody out there. Now, if we were to be able to do that, if we were able to show, hey, you know, Bob, there's a transmitter up there. Then, of course, I think there would be enough money spent to build a really big antenna, uh, maybe in Western Australia or some other place that's you know not being heavily used and okay. and and, and, and yeah. actually, you know look for the message.
1: okay. And how do you think we can plan for an alien invasion? and And another question too, because you are a reference point for so many movies and tv shows and people come to you when they want guidance on communicating with aliens so how do you think we're going to be presented or make contact with aliens do you think it's going to be hostile or peaceful and how do you think as an expert in this field how do you think we should prepare for contact Given, lots of us think that it's going to be a little bit hostile and a bit of a war of the worlds. <laughs> well,
0: uh, if they actually came here, yes, I agree with you. If they came here, I would just get out of town. I mean, if they if they can come here, yes, they must must have some reason for doing that because it's really hard to do, and uh, you can't be sure that they just came down here to read us Klingon poetry. Uh, they, you know, they they might have other things in mind, and whatever it is, you know, you're not going to be able to stop them. I mean, in the movies, you can always stop them. But in reality, it would be like, I don't know, the Maori trying to, you know, stop the uh, the, the British, uh, stop the Europeans uh, landing in New Zealand. They're not going to be able to do it. So it's kind of the same thing uh, if they actually came here. But I, I don't expect them to come here. But, you know, you can't rule it out. It doesn't violate physics or anything. I mean, it might be a very difficult trip. So if the aliens actually came here, you know what I would do is get a lot of frozen pizza and head for the nearest mountain range and get out of town.
1: Oh, see, this reminds me of the whole, you can run, but you can't hide. I mean, they've got some pretty impressive technology to get here. So I don't know, running to the hills. I don't feel so safe.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, you might not be able to escape, but it's certainly worth a try. I, I heard one guy at a comment say, look, the only strategy that has any hope of success against an alien uh, invasion is to negotiate, right? I, I'm not sure how you do that, since of course they won't speak a perfect English or anything. But you know, maybe, maybe make a deal with them. I I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, I I find it a little difficult to think that they would come all the way here just to wipe us out. I mean, that might be fun and all, but um, you know, it does. It, is it worth the cost? I mean, it's very expensive and. You know, look, Zork, you want to go down to that little blue planet and wipe everybody out. Uh, you know, we got better uses for that money. I mean, we could, uh, you know, make a couple of more reality television programs or something. I mean, there must be something else that they could do with that money than just coming here to wipe us out. But, Again, you you have no idea what would motivate them to come to Earth.
1: Yeah, so I was thinking that if they're going to come to Earth, then they're going to have some pretty impressive technology, maybe faster than light, which you're probably going to disagree with. Many scientists do who come on Widdishin's podcast, but I've had a few who say that it's possible. Um, Anyway, they're going to have some pretty impressive technology, likely some weapons, maybe even lasers, that they would use against us. Well,
0: could be. I mean, I, I I don't know to begin with. Faster than light technology violates relativity, and that's you know so it's 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 quite possible. I would say even likely that nobody will have that. It's just not compatible with physics. But you know the idea they're going to come down here and zap us all with a high powered laser. <laughs> well, I mean that would ruin your whole day. I admit it. But but it's again you know. When when people first went to, I don't know, the, uh, the, the the Canadian Arctic, right? And there are people living there, all right. But they didn't go in there and just shoot them all. I mean, there wasn't much point in that. They, they asked them, where can we find something to eat? That was better <laughs> for them. So I don't know. It, it, uh, again, how often do you go to a town you've never been to and, you know, just try and kill everybody there because it's the first time you've ever been there? I mean, maybe you do it a lot, but probably you don't.
1: Yeah, we don't have a very good track record. I just can imagine a little bit of an Independence Day scene where, we're, where we've got our military and shooting them down from space, not asking any questions, and just going at it just so human-like. We just don't have a good track record.
0: Uh, I, I, I point out to you, uh, Captain Jim Cook, uh, who's a fairly well-known person in Australia, particularly on the uh, east coast of Australia. And he was under orders from the admiralty to go map all the islands in the Pacific. So he, he was there to just go explore and find new places that uh, no Europeans had ever been at before. And he was also instructed, but he didn't really need to be because this was his mindset anyhow, you know, not to hurt anybody. He didn't hurt him. He just wrote them up. He said, OK, they got this kind of religion and they got in, they eat these kinds of foods and whatever, whatever their culture was. But mainly he was there to map all the the islands. Um, and he did that. I mean, he didn't really. I mean, yeah, over the course of his various voyages, some, some natives did get killed, but it was mostly, you know, it was motivated by actions by the natives themselves. So that could have been avoided. But in in general, he wasn't there to wipe them out. You tend to forget that that's how it mostly happened. Of course, it's much more interesting to read about those cases where they did wipe everybody out, but that that very seldom occurred.
1: Hmm. Well, this is one from the conspiracy theorists. Do you think, considering the aliens might be watching us from space and watching humans fight each other, that they are already on planet Earth and they're just being a little bit covert about it and secretive, as to not get caught, because they know that humans are a little bit aggressive, and we try and kill anything that we don't really understand, or we get a little bit. Well, <laughs> if they
0: are, they're being very secretive about it. In fact, they're being so secretive about it, it's the same as them not being here at all, right? <laughs> if you go down to the the Australian Museum in Sydney. You know and you look for that exhibit that shows evidence of alien presence here on earth, you'll find it's a very restricted exhibit right and and the reason for that is I don't think there's any good evidence that we're being visited I mean that would be wonderful, but I, I don't think it happens when when you know aircraft take off from the San Francisco airport here very seldom do I notice that the pilots are worried that there might be alien saucers in their airspace and they should watch out for them uh, the, if the aliens are here they don't do anything they don't kill anybody they don't help anybody they, they you know they in in my opinion they don't even abduct anybody <laughs> they don't do anything except you know they they form well they're good fodder for uh, you know television shows but you know otherwise they don't they don't do anything that's a little bit different than of course when the Europeans uh, landed in various countries that hadn't seen Europeans uh, because then they did do something I mean if you'd ask the uh, aboriginals of uh, Australia, for example, in the late uh, 18th century, do you you think there are Europeans visiting you? They would have no doubt about it. I mean, they would just say, yeah, they're right down the street there and they're causing trouble here and they're building something down there and whatever. It was very obvious, very obvious. So I I actually don't think the aliens here, because I think if they were, it would also be very obvious. But... uh, You know, there are a lot of people that disagree with Mm,
1: me. Yes, there are. (laughs) We've got the Area 51 saga with the invasion of Area 51. Do you you know much about the whole Area 51 stuff? Oh, actually, it's pretty safe to assume that you do.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I, in fact, uh, just wrote a little article about this, which I suppose will be, I think it's on the NBC website. I don't mean to make an advertisement, but I think it'll be up there within a day or two. Anyhow, yes, uh, somebody on Facebook had urged People to storm Area Fifty One. <laughs> of course, he meant it. He meant it as a joke, which it kind of is. But you know, more than a million people have said, "Yeah, yeah, we're going to do that." So, I mean, Area Fifty One is in the it's in southern Nevada. It's north of Las Vegas, and it's a military test site. So they have, you know uh, secret planes and things like that, that they don't want you to photograph and so forth. So the whole place is surrounded by, you know, fences and stuff like that. And you're not supposed to go in there. And if you do, you know, they're they're probably going to stop you, (laughs) but, but, you know, more than a million people say they want to go in there because they think there are aliens freeze dried and stacked up inside of area 51. Well, you know, I, I actually know people who've worked at area 51 and I've asked them, Hey, any aliens there? They say, well, no, a lot of kind of interesting airplanes, but, you know, but, but no aliens. But, of course, the public would prefer to believe that there really are aliens there. And uh, I, I don't think they're actually going to storm uh, Area 51 because it's going to be, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's hot. There's no good. There are no good restaurants. There are no bad restaurants near Area 51 except on the base. And they're not going to get to those. So uh, and I, I think it's good fun, but it's like those who predict the end of the world. You know, I don't think it's actually going to happen. Mm,
1: so you don't think that there's actually an Area Fifty One conspiracy going on? There's no aliens hanging out no. there? <laughs> no. Nope.
0: Nope. Oh, okay. okay. I, I'm sorry to disappoint you, Amy Rose. I I know it would be much more interesting to think they're there, but you know, they could be. They could be. They could be hunkered down in Penrith too. But I. But I doubt it.
1: <laughs> well, look. At least you still have SETI, right? So, how about we talk about how far away you think making contact with aliens actually is? Because you said 10 years or 20 years? I still
0: say that, 20 years, yes. Even though I said that maybe eight years ago, (laughs) I don't remember. Yeah, maybe it'll always be 20 years. Uh, But no, the reason I said 20 years and why I still think it's possible, I bet everybody a flat white that that'll happen. And the reason is that, uh, you know, the equipment for SETI keeps getting better. This is just because of the improvements in computers. Uh, I'm I'm speaking to you from the Silicon Valley. And so, you know, it's it's well known here in the Silicon Valley and everywhere else too, for that matter, that computers keep getting faster and faster uh, at the same price point. And that's been going on for more than 30 years. That'll keep going for on another, well, who knows how long. So that speeds up our search. And uh, my 20 years was based on the fact that within 20 years after when I made that bet, we'll be able to look at a million star systems. And I just think that if you look at a million star systems, you might pick up a signal from one of them. So uh, that's why I bet everybody that flat white, I may have to buy a lot of coffee uh, within 20 years, but on the other hand, maybe I won't.
1: Well, that brings me to one of my last questions, which is what technologies do you think is going to exist in about 20 years or 50 years or a technology that a lot of us find really difficult to imagine, given that things are moving so fast. We don't even know what is around the corner.
0: Well, uh, some of them may replace your mind. That's the real danger. you know. But I think that there are two that, uh, that are, of course, going to be mobile, I think, of course, are going to be most important for the 21st century that we're beginning now. Uh, the first is biology and really understanding biology at a you know, a a microscopic level, a molecular level, I guess I should say. And uh, that means we're going to be able to, you know, bioengineer house plants or whatever, you know, so they glow in the dark. I have a couple of people nearby who are doing that. I mean, just for fun. Those are hobbyists. But more than that, you'll be able to cure a lot of diseases. We're going to see an acceleration in the ability to attack a lot of disease at a molecular level, which will be a great thing, of course the other thing that'll come out of that sort of work, of course, is uh, manipulating DNA. We can already do that. And it's more about the ethics now than the technology. So you're going to have designer babies. And, you know, you might say, I don't want a designer baby. That doesn't sound good to me. But then again, if you're pregnant and, you know, your doctor says, look, $50 more and your kid can have uh, twice the IQ or something, or, you know, bedroom blue eyeballs or something, I mean, whatever.
1: Uh, oh, gross. <laughs> makes me feel oh, you, don't sick. Like,
0: <laughs> you, you don't like eyes? Okay, well, all right. Whatever. I, I can understand. But in any case, so, you know, that's going to knock your socks off. I mean, the, the idea of designer babies and, you know, clearly if you're a wealthy uh, mother, then maybe you get a better baby than the people that don't have as much money. So it's going to be all sorts of conversation about that. But that's that's pretty predictable. I think that that's going to be something you're going to see. I think actually more significant than that is uh, artificial intelligence and not artificial intelligence that plays, you know, a good game of chess or poker or go or any of these things, but artificial generalized intelligence, which can, you know, have a award winning podcast or write the great Australian novel or whatever, Uh, something that can do anything cognitively that humans can do. And, you know, we're not there yet. This is way beyond self-driving cars. This is, uh, you know, a machine that's as clever as your next door neighbor. In my case, that wouldn't be such an accomplishment, but, it, you know, it might be for others.
1: So. Oh, Seth, it's been so wonderful talking to you. Look, thank you so much for coming on Widdisham's podcast again. It's been an absolute hoot as always. Look, I look forward to speaking to you. Maybe in 20 years' time we might revisit this conversation or even beforehand. So it's been amazing.
0: (laughs) Amy Rose, it's been a real pleasure to speak with you.
1: listening to this week's episode with Seth Shostak. Until next time, please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Stay safe, enjoy the company of your loved ones, and of course, enjoy the rabbit holes.